Well, open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 11 this morning. Ecclesiastes chapter 11. Sadly, we are coming to the close of the book. And Solomon has saved some of the best for last as he gets ready to draw his final conclusion. The final conclusion won't be today. Lord willing, it will be next time we're in Ecclesiastes. But there is some powerful truth in the passage that we we have before us today. Now, contrary to what some might think, Ecclesiastes is one of the most practical books in the Old Testament. It teaches you, it teaches us how to view life in a world under a curse. And it shows you where to find God's God's blessings while, while you're living outside of the garden. It points us to our Creator as the only hope. And Solomon has been faithfully doing that since the very first verse. He says, Vanity of Vanities. That's the the title of his sermon. And the two sermons that he has preached to us, he has point by point laid out how life is full of futility and frustration apart from God. We live in a world where storm clouds blow in and out of life and and rain falls on the just as well as the unjust. And after the last week and a half or so, we say that's enough rain on the just or the unjust, right? It's good to see the sun. Sometimes, though, the the righteous get the storms and the wicked get the sun in in a fallen world. In a fallen world, leaders lie, evil can temporarily prevail, the wicked at times get things that they don't deserve, and the righteous are delayed in gaining what they, they do. Solomon has taught us that is normal in life under the sun. It's frustrating and futile. But one day, the great promise is that God will make right what is wrong. He will straighten out what is crooked and, and He'll undo the curse and bring about the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. And until then, we need Solomon's li- wisdom to, to live wisely. And this morning, he's going to teach us about wise enjoyment. Wisdom is the purpose of Ecclesiastes. He's just wrapped up his second sermon, and Solomon will teach us this final lesson about finding joy in life from all of life, when you're young and when you're, you're old, even all the way up to the time that you return to the dust. Now, finding joy in life may sound like an odd topic to end this book with, since he's laid out this futile path and in in, in these frustrating episodes over and over in the, in the book. But, but the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ has come that we might have joy and that we might have it abundantly. Joy in Jesus is available to, to believers, even under the curse. Not just in little drops, but, but in massive dollops, Solomon tells us the, this morning. We can live well with life's uncertainties by following wisdom's strategy in the first part of chapter 11. And that will lead to prospering in an uncertain world. And now he teaches us that you can find joy even under the curse if, if, You follow God's wise plan that he gives us in verse 7 through the beginning part of chapter 12. Solomon says there are some keys to enjoyment in life. But they only come by remembering its length, its accountability, and its owner. 
He calls us to enjoy, in fact commands us to rejoice in the gifts of, of life, but, but says in order to do that, you must place three post-it notes on your mind's dashboard. One of them says life is short. The other one says after it comes the judgment. And the final one says it's owned by, by God. Solomon's going to teach you you can keep those things, if you can keep those things in front of you, you can enjoy God's, God's blessings. Beyond those three things, you can reap pleasure's bounty. I'll summarize it for you this way. Solomon says you must remember three certainties to enjoy life. You must remember it's passing brevity in verses 7 and 8. You, you must remember the future judgment in verses 9 through, through 10. And then you must remember your Creator. If you remember those three things, then you can enjoy life to the fullest. In fact, you can say it the opposite. If you don't remember those three things, you will not enjoy life to its fullest. Whatever counterfeits you, you cram into it. Let's hear the first one that, that the Lord teaches us here in, in verse 7. The first certainty to remember. You must remember life's passing brevity to enjoy it. Look if you would at verse 7. Light is pleasant and it's good for the eyes to see the sun. Indeed, if a man should live many years, let him rejoice in all of them and let him remember the days of darkness for they will be many. Everything that is to come will be futility. That's a, a really good rendering of the, of the Hebrew. Notice the focus of the words. Notice the contrast. Pleasant and good, and then darkness and futility, like both ends of the spectrum. He's describing both ends of the spectrum of life. But he's describing experiences, but also tells us what to do with them. He says, rejoice in them all and remember them all, even the dark ones. Indeed, verse 8, if a man should live many years, let him rejoice in them all and let him remember the days of darkness. That's the, that's the direction that, that you have there after describing these different aspects of life. Solomon begins by calling us all to rejoice in all the days that we have on the earth. And you say, preacher, all of the days? Yes, all of the days. That's what the Bible says here. And he starts with the good part. He starts with the, the goodness of life. And, and he portrays it by light. He, he says light is pleasant and it's good for the eyes to see the sun. He says joy in life is like the first beam of a sunrise. That's like the pleasantries of, of light. And when the concept of light was used in the Old Testament... Related to the concept of joy and blessing, it, it's a contrast with sorrow, adversity, or, or darkness, or, or death. Solomon is calling us not just to live, but to enjoy it. Um, he uses two words to describe this, this enjoyment. He says it's sweet or pleasant, and it's good. Good means exactly what you think. Remember the good parts. The other word, though, is more precise. It was used for the sweetness of honey. Michael Eaton said, Life is not only good in itself, but it's to be savored with enthusiasm as one might enjoy honey. Savored with enthusiasm. Is that the way that you think about life? Life's to be savored with enthusiasm. I want to wring out every joy that I can, that I can find in life. It's good like butter, but, but, it, but it's even more than that. It's, it's like honey butter. 
He says nibble on it like a sugar cube and, and let its sweetness swirl around on your taste buds. That's the idea here. It's a pretty sweeping and powerful picture about how God tells us to, to, to view life, especially since Solomon's been telling us about the curse and, and all of these frustrations and futilities. And Solomon hasn't lost it here at the end of the book. He, he's saying that you can do that even though all of these things are, are around you. Notice he doesn't leave the curse out. Look, if you would, at verse 8. Indeed, let a man, if a man should live many years, let him rejoice in all of them. Let him remember the days of darkness. And everything that is to come will be vanity or futility. That's not some Photoshop view of life that, that leads out reality. There's one thing that Solomon hates, and you should know that by now. It's somebody that won't tell you the truth about life. Solomon has already told us life is vain, it's difficult, it's uncertain, it it contains things that can be perplexing like injustice and delay, and sooner or later, if you live long enough, he says in verse 8, you will taste what is bitter along with what is sweet. You will face disappointments and discouragement and, and loss, but that does not mean, Solomon says, that life is unenjoyable. He is giving a realistic view of life and telling us to enjoy What is good in it? I mean, think of it this way. Does the fact that it rains take away the beauty or the warmth of the sun? No, in fact, it may even make us appreciate it even more, doesn't it? Do the days that you're sick steal any delight from the days that you you feel good? Not at all. In fact, it can actually enhance them. And if life under the sun, during it, you'll get both. We're not to let the frustrations rob us of finding joy. Phil Riken said Solomon is saying don't take life for granted. Don't take the good parts of life for granted. And don't complain and grumble about the bad parts to where that overshadows the good parts that's there. You'll live an unbalanced and, and unwise life. Approach every day like Psalm 118 24, which says, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. You say, how do I do that? Well, he tells us right here in this verse. Solomon says, all of life, you should rejoice. And the way you do that is is urgently and knowledgeably. Look at verse 8 again. He said, indeed, if a man should live many years, should live many years, let him rejoice in all of them. And let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. Everything that is to come will be, will be futile or futility. He defines the futility of, of old age and death in a few verses and everything that comes be, before, that, before that time. Are you the kind of person who always feel bad feels bad when you feel good because you know you're going to feel worse? Do you find it easier to think about what you don't have than wring the blessings out of what you do? Solomon sounds two notes of warning after, after uh, for you to get, to get enjoyment. He says death makes our response to a life of joy an urgent matter because there are no do-overs. That's the urgent part. And then he says there's there's baked-in futility and frustrations. So don't stumble over that. That's the knowledgeable part. Solomon says, once your days are gone, they're gone. 
Light will become darkness one day, and there'll be no opportunities after that, and even the hard days would be, would be welcome then. There will be seven days this week, and some of them will have sun. If you spend the sunny days thinking about the rain yesterday or the forecast tomorrow, you won't get that sunny day back. That's what Solomon's saying. And difficulty is relative at different phases of life. Would you take one of those super difficult mornings when you had to get up so early to go to grade school or junior high and deal with all of that pressure of homework (laughs) now that you get up at 5.30 every morning and know the pressures of, of going to work? Would you trade one of those hard days when the kids wouldn't stop saying your name and the house was a mess for, for, for one of your days in an empty house now that they're gone? Would you welcome a cleaning day with no aches now that you can't clean the house even though that you want to? See, difficulty is relative depending upon your circumstances and, and where you come, but God is constant and, and you can find things to enjoy even in that. And when you get to heaven, would you trade one difficult day lived for for Jesus Christ for one less reward to cast at His feet? I think not. You wish that you'd suffered even one more. Solomon says life is short. Don't spend too long grumbling over the things or you'll miss the, the good stuff that God has in it. And he also says knowledge will help you because life doesn't yield up its joys easily. He talks about dark days here. Life may not take the turn you expect or turn out the way that you you, you hoped, but don't let the uncertainty impair your, your stride towards joy. It has dark days. It has frustrating ones. Realize that and live. Don't look for the perfect day. Enjoy the perfections of the day that you have. Don't look for the perfect spouse. Seek the grace of God in the one that you have. Don't pass up a good meal and fail to enjoy it because it doesn't have every little morsel the way that you want it or, or, or it's not salted enough or whatever it might be. Don't forgo a good job because it lacks something. Fill up what lacks with the best of the job. That's what Solomon is saying here. There is far more of the journey than there is the destination. The journey of life is more than the end, but both of them go together. There are 26 miles of a marathon and one inch of tape at the end. Run the full course. You run for the prize, but don't get so one-sided that you forget God's blessings as you're, you're running. And the second point will, will help us do that. The second certainty that you must remember to enjoy life is the future judgment. The future judgment. Look, if you would, at verse 9. Rejoice, young man, during your childhood, and let your heart be pleasant during the days of young manhood. And follow the impulses of your heart and the desires of your, your eyes. Now notice here, Solomon, just so you didn't miss what he said in verses 7 and 8, he repeats the phrase, but now, rather than speaking to everybody, he's speaking specifically to young people. Solomon does what the Apostle Paul does in Philippians 4.4. Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. He repeats it. You have to be told twice to rejoice. I ought to tell you a little bit about yourself. 
it's a lot easier to, to find the, the difficulty or the darkness in something than the, than the joy. God says life is given to be enjoyed, and your early years in particular are full of unique blessings and significant pitfalls, which is why he gives us verse, the end of verse 9. When you're young, there are first experiences. There's youthful strength. When you're young, you can eat five guys for dinner and a big bowl of ice cream at 9 p.m. every night and never gain weight. When you're young, you can sleep. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? Solomon is speaking to those of you who are on the long side of the hill. You're just starting the the climb here in verse 9. And he says, don't miss the joy of the, the journey. Enjoy what is found in its steps. If you're in grade school through college, if you're beyond college, you become a man or a woman, so you need to act like one. But if you're in grade school through college, this is a full-throated, unrestrained call to have as much fun as you can while you're young. Do I have some of your attention? Or as my friend Joel James said, I have the parents' attention who are saying exactly where is this sermon going? I've been trying to tell them to be responsible, not to have as much fun as they can. But that's exactly what Solomon says here. I mean, is this a call to to hedonism, to grab all you can from life? You only grow around once? I mean, in some ways, yes, but it's qualified. It's called a Christian hedonism, if you want to quote John Piper. But there's a key qualifier coming next in the verse, which makes all the difference in the world. Notice Solomon doesn't tell young people to rejoice in their youth like it's some badge of honor. It's not. You're way more foolish than you realize if you're young. Solomon says rejoice while you're young. When you have your whole life ahead of you, live for God and enjoy His blessings. That's what he's saying. And I would quickly warn you that that the opposite can be true if you don't remember your Creator. That's a significant pitfall of youth. There are blessings of youth and there's pitfalls. The pitfall is that you have your whole life to throw away. The blessing is you have your whole life to live for God and to enjoy everything that, that He has. I can remember one of my best friends growing up was not interested in anything bad until he hit 17 or 18 and then he went completely off the rails. And I know another one that didn't remember his creator whenever he was young and at 30 years of age his parents found him in the in the bed his life ended in cardiac arrest fueled by meth your youth is a gift but it can also be your downfall if you don't heed what solomon says here look at verse 9 at the end of it yet Rejoice, O young man, during your childhood. Let your heart be pleasant during the days of young manhood and follow the impulses of your heart and the desires of your eyes. Yet know that God will bring you to judgment for all these things. Now, all you tight-fisted Baptists can exhale. He's not just telling them to go wild. But don't exhale too much. Solomon says participate in the joy of life. Laugh. Enjoy a meal. Enjoy friends. Be silly. While knowing that you will give an account for every act, every pleasure, and every motive. There's a balance here. A balance and, and a, there's a counterbalance. 
He says the answer to the age-old problem of where, how to discern the line of, of pleasure is to enjoy life to the fullest, but, e, but enjoy it in the, in the full light of the judgment. You keep that post-it note on your dashboard. Does that seem like a contradiction to you? I mean, enjoy life in light of the judgment? I mean, how do you enjoy something knowing that, that judgment is coming? It, it, in our minds, it, it seems that, that they're contrary. It, it seems like judgment would take away joy, but in fact, it does just the opposite. It shows you what is truly enjoyable. It tests. Having that reality of judgment tests what is really joyful and what is a counterfeit of the world. And there are plenty of counterfeits. The book of Proverbs describes a banquet that's laid out by an immoral woman. And and Solomon says it's a banquet in the grave. It looks pleasant. And yet you're, you're feeding on ashes. The Bible says sin is pleasurable, but only for a season. And when that season ends, then you face God. And there are no do-overs in life. Solomon's already told us that. Uh, sensual desire is gratifying, but, but hell will not be any more enjoyable because of it. And you need to be able to discern the difference, especially whenever you're young, in the way that, that you're living Because every single thing you do, every pleasure, every motive, every act will show up again one day in your life whenever you're standing before God Almighty and giving an account. Solomon says true happiness consists of simultaneously enjoying the present while looking forward to the future when we will face God. That's what David meant when he said, Delight yourself in the Lord and He'll give you the desires of your heart. Or when someone says, put God at the center of your life and then do what you like. <laughs> they both imply that your true desire is for the Lord. And so, so whatever you will enjoy will be in light of pleasing Him. And He is never more pleased than when He blesses His children. God loves it whenever we enjoy the gifts that He has given us. And life is loaded with them. Just like it's loaded with dark days, it's also loaded with blessings... A warm summer evening, a cool breeze in the afternoon, the smell of a baby, the comfort of your your husband or your wife, a good meal, a hot shower, you could go on. And those blessings will continue in eternity and be amplified if we live consuming our blessings here, remembering that we'll give an account one day. Listen, there's nothing spiritual... If you read these verses, there's nothing spiritual about being restrained or dour whenever it comes to to God's blessings. Being lukewarm, even over God's gifts, is just as disappointing to the Lord as being spiritually lukewarm in the book of Revelation. God is not more glorified by us living in the grays and the browns of life. God created red and violet, and, and, and His pleasures are freely bestowed on His children. Don't confuse spirituality with asceticism. Taste not, touch not, handle not. I mean, think about it. As a parent, do you get more joy out of what your children get for uh, for Christmas or the gifts that you get to give them? As a child, all you thought about was how many presents were under the the tree, and and that changes as you grow older. Now you only care about what you're able to put under there for your child or your your grandchild. You get greater joy out of giving them gifts than getting them because they are your, your, your treasure. 
And God is that way even to a greater degree. He is filled with joy when His children enjoy His gifts. Psalm 84.11 says, The Lord gives grace and glory. No good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly. Whereas Adrian Rogers used to say, If God would give you His only begotten Son and you ask for his bicycle or one of his toys or one of his gifts, do you think he'd withhold that from you? I mean, God's already given you the greatest thing that he could, the greatest gift that he could ever give. Do you think he's going to withhold some good thing for you in life that he's some kind of cosmic killjoy? Solomon says our present life was meant to be joyous even though there's a curse. It's to be pleasant to the eyes as the rising sun in the, in the morning. And in verse 9, the young man is called to, called to a quest for true joy. And he gives three actions to follow. Look at verse 9. Rejoice, young man, during your childhood. Here's how you do that. Let your heart be, be pleasant during the days of your manhood and follow the impulses of your heart and the desires of your eyes. I mean, if you think verse 9 was strong about enjoying life, look at the end of it. Or the middle of it, I should say. Follow the impulses of your heart and the desires of your, of your eyes. As, as, as one preacher said, I mean, that's like Disney theology. You know, follow your heart. I mean, does that not contradict uh, um, Jeremiah 17, 9? Heart's deceitful and desperately wicked. Let your heart cheer during your walk. Follow the ways or impulse of your heart. Follow the desires of your eyes. Solomon's not contradicting Jeremiah or Numbers 15.39, which specifically says, do not follow after your heart or your own eyes. There's context to everything. This is not an invitation to live sinfully or, or in lustful pleasure, because we know that because of the, the rest of verse 9. Yet, know that God will bring into judgment for all these things. But God removes all other restraints in the pursuit of joy. And if you can do it, it's a blessing from him, knowing that you're going to stand before him and give an account one day. Solomon says, go all in and give your heart to it. It's a good gift from the Lord. Joy comes from the heart, he says. Center of man's inner life. Let your heart be pleasant. Have God at the center of your heart and you'll be able to do what Solomon says here because he's the source of, of joy. Central operating Center, central command is, is your heart, and, and pleasing God is at the controls. That's why you can have joy like Paul, even in prison, or old age like Moses. The, the eyes here, he, he says, follow the impulses of your heart and the desires of your eyes. The eyes are the instrument of the heart. The eyes look to and, and, and fro. They're, they're a window that, 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 that really reveal what the heart's attracted to. So if your heart's right with God, you're going to be attracted to the things that, that are blessings and just the opposite. What your eyes see is enjoyable. What they delight in can tell about your heart. And if you're attracted to perverse things, it's an indication of your heart. Titus 1.15, to the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Both the mind and their conscience are defiled. Solomon says, don't live your life with an indifferent gaze. Make it a holy stare. 
God invites you to enjoy all His creation has to offer, but remember, you will see that joy replayed again in the film reel at the Bema seat in heaven. Walt Kaiser said, so have fun. Rejoice and delight in the thrill of living, yet remember today will appear, reappear tomorrow when you face the one who fully knows right from wrong. And ignorance won't be an excuse in that day. And to do that, he says, be aware of the curse, but don't, don't dwell too long there. Look at verse 10. So, remove grief and anger from your heart and put away pain from your body because childhood and the prime of life are, are fleeting. Solomon says, in order to obey, verse 9, in light of the awareness of, of the judgment that, that's coming, then you have to fight for, for joy. Eliminate the vexations. Now, you can't overcome all of these all of the time but you also don't have to wallow in them. I think it's what Solomon's saying here. Solomon, in fact, has told us that futility and frustration of this life even compound at times. He's saying you should not dwell in them and you should fight, a, fight against them. You should not live like death is coming any moment, even though that it is. Be aware that it is, so you can live in light of it. But don't let this steal your joy. You may, you may get sad, but don't remain there. You may be anxious for a moment... Or for a day, but don't dwell in that land. You, you may experience sorrow outside of the garden, but, but don't wear a mourning garment every day. Leave the funeral of your feelings as quickly as possible because life is fleeting. And those are ankle sprains of the soul. You say, wow, I want to do that. How do I, how do, I do that? Well, Solomon's going to tell us that next. He says, enjoy all you see or desire, but make sure that you have Hebrews 9.27 on the backs of your eyelids. It's appointed unto man once to die. And then he says that you must remember your Creator to enjoy life. If you would at verse 1. Chapter 12, this spans over into chapter 12. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth. He starts talking to young people. Before the evil days come, when the years draw near, when you will say, I have no delight in them. And now he transfers back to older folks. Solomon says, remember to do one thing. As you rejoice, remember your judgment. The judgment that's coming. And not dwell in frustration or futility too long. How do you do that? He says that you live life remembering your Creator. Now, I want to point out something that's significant that you probably wouldn't pay attention to unless you were studying this verse. Solomon has not used the, the title Creator for God up to this point in, in, the, in the book of Ecclesiastes. He's saying something specific here. This whole section is about creation and the, the, the fall. Solomon says the way you do it is to remember your Creator, especially when you're young. The word to remember is, is much more than a, than a mental exercise, like, oh, oh yeah, I, I need to think about God. It, it, it means commit yourself to Him. It, it, it's fidelity, it's trust, it's, 
it's faith. Derek Kidner said it's a, it's illustrated by, by the psalmist when, 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 when he says, may my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not exalt Jerusalem above my my chief joy, as they were, they were separated from Jerusalem, as the Jews were separated from Jerusalem and the, and the, the very presence of God, they, they longed for Jerusalem. They remembered God in, in Jerusalem. That's the idea here. It's a, it's a wholehearted trust. There are no half measures or partial awareness of God. It, it means go all in and do that very, very young. Do it early and for all of it. When the Old Testament said God remembered His covenant with Abraham, or God remembered His covenant with, that He made with David, it was much more than He forgot and now it has come to His mind. It, it means that He acts in light of it. He performs future actions based on this awareness. And it's the same for you. You perform your, the actions of your youth and all of your life with the awareness of, of your commitment to God. You're to remember your Creator all the days of your life. You're to recall Him as you live. You're to reflect on Him as you choose. You're, you're to rejoice in His presence that's promised one day. And you should do that early and during all of it. I mean, here is a verse for you nursery workers and Sunday school teachers, if there ever was one. You are doing God's work. I mean, this is a call to teach our children, to draw the hearts of our children to to remember, to commit to, to God and live for Him early. I will deal with God whenever I am old, is what most people say. That's what I said. I mean, the world naturally thinks the opposite of what Solomon has said. Yeah, 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 I'll do that religion thing whenever, whenever, I, whenever I get old. After I've got a few licks in on the world or sowed my wild oats or whatever it, it might be. Isn't that the way the world thinks? And again, the Bible turns the world on its, on its ear. The Bible says, come to Him young so, so you can live for Him your whole life because there are evil days coming. It's not going to get any easier to come to Christ or to remember Christ. It's going to get more difficult to, the longer that you live. If you don't start young, the patterns and ways of your life are going to cut valleys into your heart. And once the water runs there for, for years and a length of time, it becomes like a canyon and it's harder, to, it's harder to climb up out of them. I mean, think about it. Are older men and aged women more often to, to hear of Christ or, or children? I mean, some do because God's arm is, is not shortened to save by anything. But it's when you're young and your heart has not been hardened by sin and your choices. Softer ground for God's plow to, to pierce. I've been reading the books that Matt has sent around to the children to Isabella at, at night. And there's just, a, there's just a, a childlike exuberance when I ask the questions. You know, so what was God doing here? I mean, just grin, beam from ear to ear. Different for a teen or someone older. Don't trifle with God, young person. You may harden beyond what you realize. If you feel the twinge of His wooing, don't turn away from Him. 
You may be far from Him, and what may sound like a whisper to you is, is really a bullhorn full of the gospel, and, and you've plugged your ears with the world and you can't hear it. Don't be like the horse or the mule that God must take a bit or a bridle and pull, yield to Him. Because the way of a transgressor is hard. And because age is coming like a gathering storm. Verses 2 through, through verse 6 is probably one of the most beautiful sections of poetry in the Bible. I mean, you read that and you go, what in the world is he talking about there? This is, this is a gorgeous, um, elegant, careful portrait of aging. But it's about aging. Now, whoever said, I've heard Pastor Alley say this, but, but I think others as well, Getting old is not for sissies. Um, they've read Ecclesiastes 12, 1 through 8. <laughs> we like to hide old age with plastic surgery, and we avoid nursing homes, but, but Solomon won't let us get by with that. He says it's part of the curse, and its reality is to motivate you to enjoy life while you can. Solomon describes the process of aging here in stunning poetry. It's, he describes it with nature, with a with a dilapidating house, and then finally a dignified funeral. The whole image is, the, is, a, is a great estate that's slowly falling into disrepair. And Solomon once again checks Pollyanna at, at the door. He tells us his truth about life, not to depress you, but to motivate you, that wherever you're at in life, this, this is coming. Verse 2. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the, the clouds turn after the rain. It, it's an image of the, the mental faculties that, that fail. The vigor dims and the mind dulls and the, the days of sunshine are fewer and far between. And then Solomon moves to the image of a declining house in, in verse 3. In, in the day that the watchmen of the house tremble and mighty men stoop, and grinding uh, ones stand idle because they are, they are few. The, the house tremble, the, the hands and arms grow shaky, the, the mighty stoop, the muscles shrink in the back bows, the, the grinders cease, uh, the teeth become brittle. Those who look through windows grow dim, the eyes lose their sharpness and focus. The doors on the street are shut and the sound of the 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 grinding mill is low, hearing is lost, and speech is slowed. And One will arise at the sound of a bird. The inability to sleep through the night is described. All the daughter of songs will, will sing softly the loss of the ability to make and enjoy music. And men are afraid of high places and terror on the road, low tolerance for risk and the increase of fears and the concern for change. This is a description of growing older, and one day it will collapse. He turns to, to nature. The almond tree is, is a brilliant white. Among the other trees of lesser color, it describes the, the hoary head or the, the white hair. The grasshopper drags himself along. Things become too heavy, even body parts. Walking and running and lifting is more difficult to desire or caperberry is ineffective. This was a remedy for loss of appetite and an aphrodisiac, and neither of those are important any 
anymore. And after this slow process has taken place, the body finally gives out. Look, if you would, at the end of verse 5. For man goes to his eternal home while mourners go about the street. In verse 6, remember him before the silver cord is broken and the golden row is is crushed. There's a description of a funeral and then another call, a final call to remember God before you get to that that funeral. Verse 6 is the culminating verse. Derek Kidner said it attempts to capture the beauty and the fragility of the human frame. I mean, man is a masterpiece. It's, It's a delicately wrought work of art and yet it's as breakable as earthenware. It's as beautiful beautiful as a silver cord or a golden bowl, but it can be crushed like a pitcher. It can be as useless as a broken wheel. In one sense, your, your body is a masterpiece of a creation like no other, and yet one tiny bacteria can bring it down. This is a reminder of both your Creator and the curse. And you need to remember both if you hope to conquer this life because one day all men will return from whence they came. Look if you would at verse 7. Then, when this process is complete, then the dust will return to the earth as it was and the Spirit will return to God who gave it. Can you hear Genesis 1 through 3 here? your creator, the dust, the spirit that was given. This is all Genesis 1 through 3. Your dust and to the dust that you, you will return. And he ends where he began, reminding us that life without God and the curse is vanity of vanities. I mean, we're animated dirt, aren't we? <laughs> Living outside the garden. And we're nothing more than that. And we're going to return to the dirt. And nothing in our search for meaning or purpose or joy or peace or fulfillment as we have lived amongst the dirt has has led us home. Nothing we're offered under the sun is permanent. Nothing is ours to keep. But everything that God has given is ours to enjoy And so he says, death is coming for you. And if you do not know the the one who waits on the other side of it, if you haven't dealt with him in your youth, then you're going to live an empty, weightless life, and you're going to regret it in the end. Deal with him now, Solomon says. You don't want the first experience that you have with God to be him in the judgment. Solomon says the confidence that we have in living is not our strength or our health or our vigor because we'll leave all that and we'll return to the dust. Our hope is in that last part of verse 7. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was and the Spirit will return to God who, who gave it. Our hope is in the fact that our Spirit will return to the one who gave it. Notice it's His and we're His. He gave it in the beginning. It's an echo of Job. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Someone who remembers God can say those words.
And with the whole book behind him, having proved there is nothing here to keep, only drops of God's morsels of goodness meant to point us elsewhere to our Creator who owns our souls. Solomon says if you turn to him and remember him throughout your life under the sun, then Jesus Christ will remember you before the judgment throne. And you'll be with him where there is no curse forever. You're here for a short time, so turn to your creator while while you can. You say, well, what if I'm not young? (laughs) What if I'm already old? What what if I've already wasted my youth? What if I've already made, made bad choices? Well, you're not drooling on yourself yet, are you? You're not in a casket. You're headed there. We all are. Lay hold of a younger person who may not be getting what Solomon says here and tell them your story of regret. Tell them not to follow in your footsteps. Do what David did in Psalm 51 in his confession after his sin with Bathsheba, Psalm 51, 12. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. That's what you do with a life wherever you're at in the process. You ask God to restore the joy of your salvation if you have failed and then commit yourself to to teaching transgressors God's ways. He asks God to forgive him so he can use him, and that's what you do. And God will still use you all the way up until the day that this takes place and then forevermore. I want you to bow your heads with me. One of the joys that we have this morning is we end this service with the one who has made all of the things that we've talked about possible. We end the service this morning with the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table. And before we take it, I'll just ask you to do exactly what the Bible says. Evaluate yourself. Evaluate yourself in light of what has been said today. Do you know Jesus Christ? Is He your true treasure? Do you remember Him every day? Maybe there's something that you need to repent of. Maybe there's something outside of the sermon. Maybe you need to recommit even this morning. Maybe you need to come to Him for the first time. Let's pray and ask the Lord for His help even now. Father, as we come before You, weak and frail people, I am so thankful that You enjoy giving gifts to Your children and that You pity them. I'm so thankful that true joy is found in you and living for you, whether we're young or whether we're old. And I'm thankful that while there are no do-overs, you are the, the God of new beginnings. You tell us we're new creations in Christ Jesus. And you cast our sins into a sea of forgetfulness. Thank you for that. Thank you as we take this cup and this bread, we remember that that is made possible because of the Lord Jesus Christ who came and lived a sinless life, who shed His precious blood on a cross, was buried and then rose from the dead, and that all those who will call upon His name and trust in that work can have eternal life. We praise You for for that and that we've done it. And may You bless us in it in Jesus' name.
Amen.